Got it. Got it all done. Good evening. Good to see you all. So much to do. See, and I and I do all of this, and this still this thing still comes off of my ear. So it's either the microphone or my ear's got to go. But uh, I'm not Van Gogh, so I guess my ear will stay. Just need to get this thing put in right. Okay, there we go. <clears throat> Very good. All right. Revelation chapter 6. As you're turning there, I, I just want us to think about the, the needs that many of our fellow citizens are, going, are, are, are struggling with tonight because of the devastation from, from the tornadoes that hit this weekend. And we need to certainly pray for them um, as we get wind of what may be headed in that direction through Calvary Chapel Ministries. Uh, I will certainly let you all know. I think that many times, and we've been given opportunities for many years through tragedies of this sort, uh, and have sent people when we need to. So, uh, if if the Lord is opening that door, we, we just keep it in prayer if, if we can uh, help in some way. Uh, I know that some of you probably helped through American Red Cross and other agencies, but sometimes just being there uh, to bring an encouragement and a word of hope uh, goes a long way too. So, and it doesn't even have to be for many days. So just keep that in prayer, if you will. Um, first of all, can you all hear me all right? All right. Even if I speak softly? All right. Okay, good. Because we've been having a little bit of problems with, with sound, and, and uh, some of that is not our fault. We're possibly needing to make some, some, some changes uh, in the room as well as with, with equipment. We just want to make sure that you will always be able to hear us because... The hearing of the Word of God is so important, and we don't want anything to get, get by you. So, if I have to shout, I'll shout, but uh, I'd rather save my voice if I could. Revelation chapter 6, we have been, of course, going through the first stages of what we would consider to be the beginnings of the tribulation period, <clears throat> the seven years that this earth will be receiving the judgments of God <clears throat> and primarily to awaken Israel to their God and bringing Israel back to their God. But at the same time, the people of this earth who have rejected Christ will be receiving the judgment of God. God has given every opportunity for people to receive and accept the truth of Jesus Christ. But there has to come a day when the Lord says, that's enough. And I think that we're seeing that happen in our, in our day and time. I don't know if you've heard of, <clears throat> of some of the news stories going on because of the tornadoes and all. There, there's these news people, you know, every news uh, agency is there and and all, and the big story that I heard this week was was something that does affect us, you know, uh, as far as the attitude of the world toward the church and toward believers. There's a there's a CNN reporter named Wolf Blitzer who is kind of in in the uh, in, in the center of attention right now because he's a known atheist, and and he was asking somebody what that he was uh, actually uh, interviewing a, a person that was. In the uh, uh, there in I, I believe in Moore, Oklahoma, and, and all and and most of the people, most of the people are believers in Jesus Christ. Most of them are Christians. Most of them have given testimony of how they thank God that uh, their families are okay, even though their houses may be destroyed. They know that God has a plan for them, and through it all, and this is what he hears. Well, you know that frustrates atheists to the point where he actually tells this woman, he says, "Are you going to thank the Lord?" And she says, well, I'm an atheist too. 
And he goes, oh, you are. Well, you, you chose right, is what he said to her. He's, a, he's, a, he's supposed to be an a unbiased reporter. And he says that to her. And then she says, but I don't mind that they do thank the Lord. So you see, being a Christian today is going to be a target for everybody in this world. We're going to be blamed for all the problems in this world eventually. And because of this, you have to keep consideration about why God takes the church out at this most critical time before the seven years begins. We have seen the start of the work of Antichrist in the first horse, the white horse, the deception of peace. Then the second horse came, here at the beginning of this chapter, the second horse came, bringing war. Because see, when you deceive people with peace, what's your intention? It's war. And then after the war comes the famine. And then with famine comes pestilence. As we entered into the fifth seal being broken by the Lord Jesus, that was the cries of the martyrs. The cries of those who would come to faith in Christ during that tribulation time period and crying out to God, when will you execute vengeance for us? It's going to happen. It's best to get to know Christ today. It's best to come to know Jesus Christ now, in a personal relationship now. But the the sixth seal now is being broken. And if we look at our text here, in, in verse 12 it says, I looked, and this is John again, The Apostle John, I looked when he, speaking of Jesus, opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth and hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and and every mountain and island was moved out of its place and the kings of the earth the great men the rich men the commanders the mighty men every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the, de- for the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? I know I've said this many times before, but Hollywood, with all of their disaster movies, I don't care if you combine them all together and show them back to back, can never compare to the devastation that is going to come upon this earth within those seven years of tribulation. And as we arrive now at the opening of the sixth seal, there are a couple of questions that we need to answer and address before moving on through the last part of this chapter. The first question that we need to consider is this. How do the seal judgments fit into God's prophetic plan and timetable? More importantly, the timetable. But how do they fit? The seal judgments. The breaking of every seal brought about a judgment. The Antichrist appears with a deception of peace, war, famine, pestilence, death. And then, of course, the hatred toward those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. And and so the killing of believers. 
And then now, cosmic disturbances. Well, there are a number of opinions and views as to the timing of all the judgments, because, you know, through this book of Revelation, from, from this chapter all the way to chapter 19, we're going to see the seal judgments, and then there are trumpet judgments, and then there are bowl judgments. Poured out, you know, when you think of a bowl, you see that God is now, the last judgments are bold judgments pouring out his wrath. It begins with a seal, an opening. Do you see any, 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 any correlation here to the intensity of, of the judgments of God within a seven year period of time? Keep that in mind because we have, to, we have to talk about that a little bit. But there are a number of opinions and views as to the timing of all these judgments. And one particular view is that these judgments are not strictly chronological or, or sequential events. Uh, in other words, in the whole scheme of things, the uh, trumpet judgments will not follow the seal judgments chronologically or the bowl judgments will not follow the trumpet judgments after that. In other words, they're kind of all put together at different times within the seven year period of time. But the first six seals, the ones that we're dealing with up to this point, the first six seals reveal a summary of the judgments that are distributed over the whole of the book of Revelation, in particular chapter 6 through 19. They are a summary, listen carefully, they are a summary of what will occur in what we call the day of the Lord. Now I have to give you a commercial here. This coming Sunday, this coming weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I will be speaking on the day of the Lord. I'm going to do a whole study on the day of the Lord. It is important that not only we get that here, but that we also let the, 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 all the congregations here at this church know what we're talking about. And maybe we get some more of them coming on Wednesday night. Got, you guys get A pluses already as you're here. But I think it's that crucial for us to deal with what the day of the Lord is. By the way, it isn't just a day, right? It isn't a single day. It's talking about this whole period of time. It actually stretches from the beginning of a seven-year period of time to the end of that seven-year period of time. That's the day of the Lord. And so these six seals opened uh, open by Jesus are revealing this summary of the judgments that are distributed over the whole, and they are a summary of what will occur in the day of the Lord up until the time of Christ's actual revealing in chapter 19. When He finally reveals Himself, then we know that that time is near its end. And the judgments show an intense amplification through the seven years of tribulation. There is an amplification of the judgments. They, they, it seems mild now, right? So we would think, well, maybe the six seal judgments only take place during the first three and a half years <clears throat> when there's some relative peace <clears throat> until the Antichrist reveals himself in the temple. And then, of course, the last three and a half years is just all hell breaking loose, as, we said, as we've said before. But in fact, you see, we have to also consider some other things. The time span begins, <clears throat> excuse me, with the revelation of the Antichrist, which was the first seal, and it concludes with the revealing of the face of him who sits on the throne, which is just before the opening of the seventh seal. And that's Revelation 6.16. And it said to the mountains and the rocks, the people are saying this. This is the people on the earth, the inhabitants of the earth. At this, at this time, they're saying, fall on us and hide, from, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. So what is that telling you? That's the moment that Jesus is revealing himself. So the first seal, we see the Antichrist. The last, right before the last seal, Jesus reveals himself. So that's the span of the seven years. So we're getting here in the six seals, the, the summary of what takes place. But on the other hand... The other hand, and upon closer inspection of the three types of judgments, seals, trumpets, bowls, while there are similarities, 
And we'll talk about those similarities when we get to the other chapters. But while there are similarities, there are differences that are most pronounced. And the three sets of judgments would happen in order. So while we can actually combine these understandings of the seven-year period, there's a lot going on, of course, from beginning to end. There's an intensity that does take place. But we have to also consider that there is an order. And, and the, actually the seals and the trumpets and the bowls all give us an order. And I'll explain that in just a moment. For example, at the opening of the seventh seal, which we won't get to actually till, till chapter 8, but at the opening of the seventh seal, now we've opened tonight the sixth seal, so there's, there's been six seals open. But at the opening of the seventh seal, seven angels will sound seven trumpets. So there is, in a sense, then a chronology that has to be followed. There is a sequence, in other words. And the seventh trumpet, when we get to the seventh trumpet, that ushers in the seven bowls of wrath. The opening of the seventh brings about the next set of judgments. And the seventh bowl judgment brings in the most intense of three earthquakes that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. The first we'll get to in a moment. We're going to get to that one in just a moment. The first earthquake that we see mentioned here. But the seal judgments then are the amplification. And I want you to listen carefully to me. The seal judgments then are the amplification of familiar events. Do you understand what I mean by that? We've always had wars, haven't we? There have always been famines after wars. There have been terrible pestilences because of wars. So these are familiar events that we see in these first uh, six judgments. Or I, sh- I should say, let's, let's take it back. The first five judgments, the first five... Uh, no, take, go to the first four, the four horsemen within those four. Yes, we can include the fifth because there have always been martyrs. Since the beginning of the church, there have been martyrs. So we can include that one. But this sixth one is different. The sixth one is different. And while we've had them, when we get to this seven-year period of time called the tribulation period, all of these things are going to be highly intensified. The trumpet and the bold judgments are completely unique manifestations of God's judgment in contrast. And what is incredibly fascinating, if not devastating, is that all of these judgments occur within a seven-year period of time. That's what's amazing. Have you ever thought about this? Those of you that have young children, or or maybe even in, in, in going from junior high, let's say, to high school and all of that, that you, you've been, you, you take a look back, you know, you kind of take a look back and say, man, those years have gone fast. Sometimes seven years doesn't last a whole lot of time, you know. I mean, it is seven years, but it just seems so quick. Those seven years that are coming to the people on this earth may wish that it was happening in seven days. But nonetheless, it's a short period of time and the intensity of the judgments are going to be great. This is why the day of the Lord cannot be taken lightly. This is why I'm going to take the time to go through a good, what I hope to be a good study in the day of the Lord this coming weekend. So you don't want to miss it. But it brought to mind something that we've seen already before in in Zephaniah. Remember Zephaniah, that little book? Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. Now remember, these are letters written to the children of Israel. 
These are prophecies to the children of Israel. Remember that. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty, there the mighty men shall cry out. All the men that we thought would be the tough ones, you know, and they won't cry through any kind of storm or trial, they'll be crying. They'll know what it means that there is someone greater than they are. There's a lot of people in this earth today that think they're invincible, that they, you know, they, all they have to do is believe in themselves. Have you ever heard that, believe in yourself? In a sense, you, you, what, you're, what you're saying is, if you believe in yourself, guess what? You become your own God. God has given us all great talents and gifts and all, but you know, as believers, we just say, thank you, Lord. You've given these gifts. Then you manifest yourself through these gifts because we surrender them to you. But in the last days and times, what did Paul say? Men will be lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, blasphemers. That's what we're dealing with today. The attitude of boasting and pride and, and, and blasphemy. Verse 15. That day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. A day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. There will be all kinds of warnings being given. That's how devastating the day is going to be. And then it says, I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like blind men. Because they have sinned against the Lord. Now the understanding is that they have sinned against the Lord because they have completely rejected the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither shall silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole of the land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Where are we going to find the church here in all of this picture? Paul said, we are not of the darkness, we are of the light. We are not of the night, we are of the day. And I will deliver you from this wrath. This is wrath, folks. Get it into your minds and into your hearts. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he has to do to bring Israel back to him and to bring judgment upon those who have rejected him. So with that in mind, uh, this is all just foundational to this evening's study, but with that in mind, let's look at a picture. Let's look at a picture of the blind panic in the last days that begins with a great catastrophe. It's verse 12. It says of, of Revelation 6, John said, I looked when, when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. You know, it is quite possible that drastic changes in the heavens could, could result in earthquakes that will produce drastic changes in the topography of the planet. Uh, we, we, we know that it was a, a volcano that, that changed all of the topography around Mount St. Helens. But earthquakes being as natural as they are to the, the earth because of all of the fault lines and all of the uh, unevenness in, 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 in the structure of the earth can cause that major problem. And certainly in a spiritual sense, Earthquakes will suggest that everything in society will be shaken. If we just look at it from a spiritual standpoint. But I don't want to spend too much time on the spiritual because really we're dealing with a lot of literal warnings here. 
But this will be a very literal earthquake. For the very Greek word for earthquake in, the, uh, in our text is the word seismos, which of course we get the word seismology, which is the word that is used for the measurement of, of, of earthquakes. Seismographic and, and so on and so forth. So it makes clear that this isn't just a symbolic occurrence. There are other words that can be used in the Greek for shaking and quaking. But when this word is used, it's talking about an earthquake. Real. And we know about earthquakes, don't we, a little bit? Only by what we read in the news. We don't get too many earthquakes here in El Paso. We get some little shakings going on. I think recently, wasn't there something like close to a four point? A few years ago, a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, this isn't El Paso. But I think uh, you'll know where it is when you look at some of the devastation. In April of 2011, Japan was hit with a 9.0 earthquake, followed by a tsunami. In total, over 15,000 people died from this catastrophic combination of events. It is ranked fifth in worst earthquakes to hit the planet in modern times, but the costliest in terms of property damage. The greatest earthquake recorded in modern time was in 1960 in Valdivia, Chile, registering 9.5 in magnitude. 9.5. The deadliest earthquake of all time, well, I should say so far. But the deadliest earthquake up to this point took place in, a pla in China, in a city and province called Shangxi, in the year 1556. Over 800,000 people died when that nation was hit with an 8.0 magnitude quake. 800,000 people. That's, that's, that would be like El Paso, just everybody in El Paso dying from the earthquake. Everybody. And the surrounding area. No one left. But there's an even greater earthquake coming. Greater than those. Predicted in Revelation 16. And in verse 18 it says, And there were noises, and thunderings, and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake, as had not occurred since men were on the earth. That whole description is an indication that we're talking about a real earthquake and not a symbolic earthquake. Remember when we first started our study in the book of, of Revelation, I told you that a lot of people look at this book as something that is just purely symbolic. But the language itself tends to differ with that particular opinion. We are talking about real things that are going to happen in the last days, in particular in the great days of of. of, of tribulation, which we call the day of the Lord. Now, never in history has the whole earth shook. We, we get our news about what happens in China or in Japan or in Chile or in other places because we get reports. But if there was a, uh, an earthquake in, in Japan, as a matter of fact, when we were, I believe we were traveling in Israel when we heard the news of... of um, of the, of the earthquake in Japan and saw on the news. But we were in Israel. We didn't feel it. And we were, like, I think, probably closer over there than we are here in El Paso. You didn't feel it and we didn't feel it. So, you know, when earthquakes take place, they have epicenters uh, of the earthquakes. And, uh, you know, even today, the furthest tremors that have been felt from an earthquake have been only some 200 miles from, from those epicenters. But the one that is coming 
will shake the very foundations of the earth, moving every mountain and island. That is some of the description that we even got in our text. The moving of mountains and islands. I want you to consider something. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah 24. And beginning with verse 17, the Lord is revealing a shaking that is going to come. A real shaking. A real earthquake. And he begins in verse 17 of Isaiah 24 by saying, Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Stop there and think for just a moment what he just said. God just said, Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Right now, we are inhabitants of the earth because we're on this earth. You got that picture, right? You, you know that. But remember what Jesus said. He says, you are in this world. Well, actually, it was, it was, it was John. But, he, but, but what we're told in the Scriptures is, through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are of this world. We are in this world, but not of this world. We're in this world, but not of this world. And one day, when all of these things are going to take place, we're not going to be in this world. So there are going to be inhabitants of the earth that are being spoken to right now by the Lord. And then in verse 18, it says, And it shall be... That he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit, and he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. In other words, there's not going to be any way for you to escape what's going to happen when this shaking begins. Some people in the outer lying areas of, of the south, when, when, when Katrina hit, were able to escape a little bit because they were not quite at the coast. So they, they got a chance to get away quicker than the ones that were right there on the coast in Louisiana and Texas and, and, and in uh, uh, Alabama and Mississippi and, and all of those places. And if you've ever driven through there, and we drove there a, a couple of years ago and, and, and saw that still even years after, a few years after Katrina, there was still devastation. But here, there's not going to be any escape. If you think that you're going to go into the pit, you're going to have some other snare get you. Something else is going to happen. So that's the picture here. He who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows from on high are open. In other words, the judgment is coming from God. We're not just talking natural disaster here. We're talking supernatural disaster that's coming upon this earth. For the windows from on high are open and the foundations of the earth, the foundations of the earth are shaken. You know, this earth has foundations. There are scientific foundations, of course. We think of, of the way that gravity works and we're all, you know, because if it didn't, we'd be like floating everywhere. But everything's going to shake. The foundations of the earth are going to shake. They're going to be shaken. There are fault lines everywhere that are in some way going to connect to all the other fault lines in the world. There may be beginnings of the epicenters of the earthquakes in various places, but they're all going to connect and everybody's going to feel them. It is going to be one massive earthquake. Because notice verse 19. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. Can, can there be any greater description here? And, and how do we fit that into some symbolic thing? I believe God is warning us of what is going to happen in that seven year period of time. Notice the next explanation, verse 20. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. I guess I don't have to explain that to you. Well, not all of you. Maybe some of you I do have to explain it. You've never been drunk in your life, you know. Teetering and tottering this way and that way. And shall totter like a hut. 
Now, that doesn't have a very good foundation, does it? Winds come and it's tossed here and there, to and fro. But notice its transgression shall be heavy upon it, and it will fall and not rise again. I, I want you to look at that last description. It will fall and not rise again. It's talking about the earth. That's pretty devastating. Now, while this is a worldwide scale catastrophe, I have to tell you something. This isn't the final judgment by any means. It isn't the final judgment by any means. It isn't, in other words, the end of the world. I mentioned to you there are three earthquakes. But I also want you to remember that the Olivet Discourse of Jesus, the, the sermon that he taught on the Mount of Olives before he goes into the city, and then, of course, before he goes to his, uh, to his death, and, and, of course, uh, his arrest, his subsequent death and resurrection. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, he said, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences, and what? And earthquakes in various places. And again, if we're, if we're dealing with earthquakes, plural, in various places, we would, have to, we would have to consider that that's going to take place at one time, and every epicenter is going to connect with all the rest to make it a worldwide earthquake of great magnitude. But then what does Jesus say in verse 8? We've seen it before. He says, this is just the beginning of sorrows. Not the end. It's the beginning of sorrows. You th in other words, you think that it's going to be an easy thing in the first three and a half years? Some people think, well, you know, the church could, is going to be in there for three and a half years and then, you know, then, then when it really gets hot and heated, the Lord will take them out. Folks, I got to tell you, putting the church at any time during those seven-year period is not the evangelicals purgatory. As if the church has to go through the suffering somehow to get a little bit cleaner to go to heaven. You have to erase that from your thoughts here. These seven years are about Israel and about judgment on all those who have rejected Christ, God, the Word of God, and His people. There are two other earthquakes that I mentioned to you that are in Revelation. We mentioned the greatest one already in chapter 16. And then there is one in chapter 11, and we'll talk about those when we get there. But here's something else to note. The judgments issuing from the first four seals will be at the hands of the Antichrist. Okay? The first four seals. What were they? The, the horsemen, right? The horses and the horsemen. Those four seals will be at the hands of Antichrist. He comes bringing in a deceptive peace, and then there's war, there's famine, there's pestilence. All by the hands of Antichrist. But with the opening of the sixth seal, the judgments are supernatural, and they come from heaven. As we've already seen in that passage in, in Isaiah 24. Let me give you one other thing, by the way. Because it, you, we have to realize that that passage we read in Isaiah 24 has to deal with, with, with the uh, day of the Lord. I didn't put it up here, but it's verse 21 of, of Isaiah 24. It says, it shall come to pass in that day. That little phrase, in that day, is pointing to the day of the Lord. I'll talk about that this weekend as well, so you'll know that there are certain phrases that connect to the understanding of the day of the Lord. In that day, it says that the Lord will punish on high the host of the exalted ones and on earth the kings of the earth. So that's, that's verse 21. I didn't mention it earlier, but I wanted to. So the judgments of the sixth seal are supernatural and they come 
from heaven. Now let me mention again that while these verses can be looked at from a symbolic standpoint, for example, and by the way, any application of spiritual lessons isn't wrong, there is no reason to depart from the plain and clear statements from God's Word that are in fact literal events. And I believe that the, that the original language is both in the Hebrew and the Greek. If you study it very carefully, you realize then that there is no mistake that we're dealing with literal events that happen, not just symbolic events. For example, Mount Sinai quaked when God descended upon it in the fire, right? When, when, when the children of Israel were brought to Mount Sinai. We look at Exodus 19 verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. The idea is that the whole mountain quaked. Now some of your modern translations might say that the people quaked. Well yeah they quaked because the mountain quaked. And more literally it was the mountain that quaked. And the people realized and they recognized the quake for what it was because in Exodus 20 verses 18 and 19... It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the flash, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled, they stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Why? Because he shook the whole place. And then in the days of the prophet Elijah, there was an earthquake which, which actually combined with the winds. They broke rocks in pieces. First Kings 19 verse 11. Whoops, there's verse 19. I didn't give you that one, did I? Okay, verse, verse 19, uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 11. It says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. So, uh, there was a shaking going on. It was literal. It did happen. It wasn't symbolic. And, and then, by the way, let's not forget this. Let's not forget that when Jesus died on the cross on Calvary, there was an earthquake that took place. Look, if you will, at Matthew 27, verse 51. It says, Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked. That's not symbolic. That's real. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened. Verse 52. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. How do you make that symbolic? It was a real quake. And, and the, dead in, the dead arose. And in fact, those were the dead who had trusted in Jesus. And coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That's not symbolic, that's real. So the disturbances under the sixth seal judgment were foretold by the Lord also when He said this in Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. He says, There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. This is what Jesus is saying. There will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. Why do you think the Lord has allowed man to have such great minds and technologies to be able to today to see what's happening in the universe through gigantic telescopes and all. Because we're going to have witness to what God is doing. And witness to what Christ has predicted. Which of course if Christ has predicted it, it's going to come to pass. Wouldn't you say? I mean, if Jesus said it, you can believe it. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. And on the earth, notice what he says, distress of nations with perplexity. They're not just distressed, they're uh, distressed, they're perplexed, they're confused. This world is confused today. The sea, the waves roaring. And notice verse 26. Men's hearts failing them from fear 
And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. I mean, people today have so much anxiety about what's going to happen. You know, I, I oftentimes, when I tell people, listen, we're going to have a trip to Israel. And by the way, I should hopefully have some information about our trip to Israel in 2014, this coming weekend. But I, I've talked to some people and, you know, they oftentimes say, oh, I'm afraid to go to Israel. You've got, you got nothing to be afraid of. What are they saying in, in Moore, Oklahoma today? The disasters that are taking place are just minuscule in comparison to what's going to take place. Man, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, go to Israel. Don't worry. God's in control. He loves the nation anyway. He loves us. And He takes care of us. By the way, I've been a, a, a few times. And here I am still today. And I haven't even had to wear my helmet yet. Our hearts don't fail because we know that God is in control. But the world has heart problems and all kinds of other problems because they don't know. And the reason that they don't know is that they've rejected the one who has told them that they could be at peace if they did know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. People are confused. I thought the earth is getting better. I can still try to believe that. You know, I can still drink Coca-Cola with people and hold hands and say, you know, I want to see the world, uh, you know, uh, what is I want to be, uh, have the world sing and in perfect harmony. And, you know, if we just sing and drink Coca-Cola, we'll be okay. No, it doesn't work that way. We are the world. Man, I tell you what, you don't want to sing that song. Because God's coming after the world. For rejecting Him. These words that Jesus has given us, our blessed Lord means precisely what He says. The people who will be living on earth at the time will actually see the fulfillment of of the astronomical signs in connection with the heavenly bodies. Jesus then added the time element of these occurrences when he said in verse 27, he says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He said, You see, there's a time element here. These things are going to be happening, and then they will see Jesus. Jesus is coming at the end of that seven-year period. And they'll see him. And the judgments under the sixth seal occur after the translation of the church to heaven, the rapture of the church, and before Christ's second coming to earth to reign. That dreadful day will reveal that God is no respecter of persons. God is not a respecter of persons. We know that today, but they'll especially know that in that day. He is no respecter of persons. And I, because I want you to notice something in our text. Notice that all men, kings and great men and rich men and chief, uh, chief captains or commanders, mighty men, every slave and every free man. Now, wouldn't you say that that's just about everybody on the earth? Every slave and every free man. That covers it. You might be a captain, you might be a rich man, you might be a poor man, whatever it is, but you're, if you're either a slave or you're free. So where do we fit in? We don't. We can't. Because notice what it says. These people, kings, great men, rich men, chief captains, commanders, mighty men, every slave and every free man will hide themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. They will hide themselves. That's how devastating this time is going to be. All are gripped with one common terror. All are helpless. And they tell us why. They are helpless because of the wrath of the Lamb. That's in our text. They are helpless before the wrath of the Lamb. 
The scripture will be fulfilled from Isaiah chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 that say the lofty, man, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness or the pridefulness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything. Notice the day of the Lord of hosts. That's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. What is left on the earth but that that haughtiness and that loftiness and the pride that is mentioned of all those people that are described in our text? The very rulers of the earth who frightened the people with persecution and death, the ones who killed the martyrs, in other words, under the fifth seal, are now themselves frightened into helplessness and despair. That's the picture. But there's no place to hide. Even a, even a fallout shelter cannot provide protection in that day. We've already seen that. You fall into a pit, you get into the, the snare. You fall into the snare, you get into the trap. <laughs> there's no way to escape. No, no place to escape. I want you to consider the words of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, he says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This speaks to us as to our calling, to our witness and testimony of Jesus Christ to this world before all of this takes place. To let people know, as somebody let us know, somebody let us know about the love of Christ. Somebody let us know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Somebody let us know about the cross of Jesus. Somebody let us know about the blood of Christ that forgives our sin. And there are people that need to know. They're confused. They're confounded. They're perplexed and they're in despair. They're seeing no hope. We have hope. But there's coming a time when we who have hope will be taken out of the way because God wants to make it clear. You had your chance. You had the opportunity. Even during the tribulation period, there were the tribulation saints who acted. And we're going to talk about that more as we go on. The 144,000 witnesses for Christ during that seven-year period of time that God will protect. None of us are the 144,000 here. God has specifically chosen them from the tribes of Israel. They will be the witnesses. God knows what He's doing with His church. But right now, we are to persuade men. But we're well known to God. He knows us. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. To keep our focus upon the Lord and upon the things that God has called us to do. So let me just say before, we're not quite closed yet, but before we get there, let me even say now that there is a rock to which we can still come for refuge. There is a rock that people can still come for refuge. That rock, by the way, is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Because He alone is the rock of ages. Y'all heard that old hymn? Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in Thee. Folks, He is the cleft of the rock. He is the rock Himself. And there is both salvation and security in the cleft of the rock of Jesus Christ. Where else are we going to go? We sang that tonight. Where else can we go? Come to our rescue. Where else can we go? Jesus spoke of the day when, <clears throat> when their cry would go up, to the mountains and the rocks, just like we've seen in our text, verse uh, uh, Luke 23, verse 30. Then they will begin to say in, uh, to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. We're not going to be here to say any of that. By the way, nature's hiding places are inadequate to shield anyone from the wrath of the Lamb. 
don't get any ideas about Carlsbad Caverns. Ain't going to do it. It's a pretty place, but it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be shaken. And not only will the Lord judge the Hittites and the Amorites, and He'll also judge the stalactites and the stalagmites. So don't think that going into a cave is going to be good. Listen, if you have still rejected Jesus, turn to Him at once. And by the way, you need to tell that to somebody else. If you have still rejected Jesus, turn to Him at once. Receive Him while there is still time. Receive Him while there is still the day. Because the day of His judgment must surely come. Jesus isn't kidding about that day. By the way, I hadn't forgotten the other verses, which I, I want to look at now as we prepare to close. So if you'll go back with me to verse 12 once more. Once more <coughs> of Revelation 6. It says, I looked when, when He opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. But notice the next phrase. And the sun became black as sackcloth as hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Another question we have to ask is, what did John see and how was he able to describe these scenes? The sun becoming black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon becoming like blood. When John's describing this, he's, he's describing it from what he alone at that time in his life could, the words that he could use. What he may have been describing would, would be a major eclipse. And certainly there have been scientific warnings that there will be some great eclipses that will take place that are greater than any of the others that have, take, that, that have happened on the earth before or in the sky and in our atmosphere. It also could be describing a, a volcanic ash which will cloud the sky. If earthquakes are taking place of, of the greatest magnitudes that, that are going to happen, then you have to think how that's going to affect the, not only the topography, but also the foundational structure underneath where there are volcanoes in various places. Uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, the volcano, I was thinking about the volcano in Hawaii, you know, the, uh, one of the, the, the main islands there, or one of the big islands in Hawaii. And, and uh, you know, it talks about mountains, you know, being changed and, and, and islands being moved, you know, and, and all. And, and that's... One day you can see an island, the next day there's not an island there because it's gone someplace else. You know, it can happen because of the, the way that the, 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 the catastrophic movements of, of the plates and all in the earth can, can actually change things. But this volcanic ash, when all of these things start to erupt, I mean, it, they'll fill up the sky. Again, we can refer to Mount St. Helens and the cloud of smoke that... I think some of that even came down our way. I think uh, we, we saw some of that in, in this area. But in the original language, it, it does speak. It does speak of a literal darkening of the atmosphere and the sky. So it will be a very dark time in the history of the world, not only dark time as far as the, in the consequences that are being uh, uh, administered, but, but also uh, physically dark. Um, the stars of heaven falling to the earth can refer actually to any celestial body, large or small. It's not limited to normal English use. So we have to remember we're dealing with the Greek language here. And so the best explanation may be of a massive asteroid or meteor shower that, that's going to hit the earth. I mean, these things are being predicted even in the last few months. I think there have been some articles that have been written by scientists about uh, uh, asteroids that are kind of heading this way. Well, I'll just read the Bible. I would have told you that before. You know, oh, this great scientific paper. Psh, that's scientific paper, you know. You look in the, oh, these guys, these things are coming. Well, I could have told you that a long time ago because 2,000 years ago or more, you know, that's what it's telling us. 
God knows what he's doing. You know how, how the scientists predicted that, you know, that 65 billion years ago, or I guess it was or a million years ago, you know, the, the dinosaurs became extinct because of, of this asteroid or meteor shower that took place, you know. So how, how did, they, did they take, was there YouTube? So you could see it? You know, how, how did they come up with these things? But I can tell you this, the scientists are going to see those things happen and they'll become very extinct too if they don't get right with God now. The late figs that are mentioned are the winter figs. The winter figs grow without protection of leaves. See, the leaves are very essential in the growing of figs in, in, in the Middle East and, and everywhere, actually, if you have a fig tree. If you don't have the leaves, the, leaves will, uh, the, the figs will not be protected. And, and so when they grow without protection of leaves, they're easily blown from the tree. So the description refers to a great force pounding itself on the planet. So these bodies that are going to hit, I mean, this is going to be taking place as well. But now this could also refer to a time frame because if it mentions winter figs or late figs, then it's giving us a time, a time frame, late winter, because that's the darkest time of the season. Well, that just goes without saying. The day of the Lord is a time of great darkness. The sky receding as a scroll speaks of a sky that appears to disappear. Isn't that interesting? A sky that appears to disappear. One explanation is of a mushroom cloud following a nuclear blast. You've all seen pictures, I'm sure, of, of atom bombs and the, you know, the, the cloud that forms. It actually looks like a scroll. It's, it's receding. Think about that. John just, you know, he doesn't know what a nuclear bomb is. Doesn't know what a nuclear bomb is, as President Bush said. He just knows, wow, the sky's receding. Something to think about. Think about all the atom bombs, uh, uh, atomic bombs, I should call them, atomic bombs that many nations have today and are boasting, you know, others that are trying to get them, you know. And then people are going to start pressing buttons left and right. And this is going to happen. Every mountain and island moved out of place, while possibly referring to some symbolic occurrence, can still mean that the things we see as stable and immovable will no longer be able to withstand the wrath of God, even though it is quite possible for mountains to change forms due to the earthquakes and islands removed from their previous locations for similar reasons. There's a last question that we have to ask, and actually it's in our text. That question is, the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Well, the simple and quick answer, because we're past time now, but the simple answer is, only the true believer in Jesus Christ can stand before this great judgment. The one who is justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who can stand. But it isn't that we have to stand then. It is that we stand now. That is what matters. That we stand today in Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. You see, the believer can stand in the face of this great wrath of God because Jesus already bore the wrath the believer deserved. Jesus has already borne the wrath. That's why he went to the cross. The wrath that was reserved for us, the wrath that we deserved for our sin, Jesus took it for us. The Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, he has borne our wrath for us. You're pondering that, right? I'm letting you ponder it. 
I want you to rejoice in it. I want you to be glad in it. I want you to let the world know what a wonderful Savior we have. Don't forget that we've been delivered from the wrath to come. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So who can stand? Let's leave now with these verses, Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Are you standing in the grace of Jesus Christ? And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Are you rejoicing? I started that this evening with that question, you know, did we come in here? I didn't ask a question, but I, I mentioned, you know, because of all the things that are happening in this world, the devastation that's really starting to take place, we as believers can stand and we can rejoice. Amen? Praise the Lord.